let me start uh, by asking a few uh, polling questions. And uh, for those uh, watching electronically at uh, Longridge, I encourage you to uh, raise your hand to these uh, questions if they apply to you as well. Uh, but uh, let me ask you the first question. Uh, the first question is, raise your hand if uh, you have ever had money stolen by a mugger or a purse snatcher or have your house or car burglarized. Look around. Uh, put your hands down. All right. Uh, next question uh, recognizes the fact that there is more than one way to be robbed. Uh, raise your hand uh, if you've ever been the victim of a scam or uh, had someone uh, steal your identity, uh, put false charges on your credit card or some charity deception or investment scam. OK, go around. And uh, last question is kind of a summary question. Uh, raise your hand if you have ever had something stolen, either the ways I've just mentioned or uh, maybe some way I haven't mentioned, but you know what it feels like to be robbed. Now, just hold your hand up. Wow, it's just amazing, isn't it? Uh, how many are thinking right now, did I lock my front door at my house? Because uh, what all these hands indicate is uh, that... Stealing is a very widespread problem and that causes real pain. And if you raised a hand, uh, let me just ask you to reflect. Uh, reflect for a moment on how you felt when you became a victim of theft. How does it feel to have things stolen from you? Uh, how did you feel when you got mugged or, <clears throat> or you came home or got to your car and found things missing? When you are a theft victim, uh, the most common reaction is feeling violated. Uh, when muggers take from you, uh, you are violated because you've been made the object of someone's selfish greed. Uh, and you are violated because a thief takes from you something much more than just possession. Uh, a thief steals from you the time an effort it took you to earn your possession, but even more precious, a thief steals from you your sense of security and your peace of mind. And considering all the tangibles and intangibles uh, that are taken by a thief, it is not surprising that the dominant emotion uh, that most people feel uh, about being robbed is anger. Uh, it's important to reflect on these feelings uh, that come with theft because just like I have strong emotional feelings and reactions to being robbed, uh, Scripture reveal, reveals that God has a strong emotional reaction whenever I steal. God reveals these emotions and much more in the Ten Commandments. And uh, you'd like to turn your Bible now to Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 20, uh, verse 15. This is on page 54, if you're using the Bible here in Fairfield that's in front of you. Uh, in our study of the Ten Commandments, we are on the Eighth Commandment, which reads in Exodus, chapter 20, verse 15, You shall not steal. When I steal, when you steal... God reacts with some of those same strong feelings that we've been talking about. But you say, hey, wait a minute. I don't steal. 
Well, that's possible. But considering all that the Bible has to say about stealing, there's a good chance that you're wrong. Uh, The Bible talks about several forms of stealing that we often don't think about. So let's study the three forms of stealing commanded against in Scripture. The first and most obvious form of stealing commanded against in Scripture is what we can call seizure. Uh, When we think of theft by seizure, we immediately think of mugging someone or breaking into someone's house to take things. But this is only one expression of theft by seizure. Another example is something as seemingly innocent as borrowing things and not returning them. Uh, I read a newspaper article recently about a worker named Jeff who was a long-term employee at a manufacturing plant. And over the years he worked with this company, Jeff got in the habit of borrowing tools from work. When he put up a woodshed at his house, uh, he took the circular saw from uh, work and brought it home to use it. He started out with the intention of borrowing the saw, uh, but Jeff never got around to returning it. It was a huge plant with lots and lots of power tools that would not really be missed. Uh, In fact, instead of returning the saw, uh, Jeff borrowed more tools. Uh, He borrowed wrenches for his household plumbing. He took tools for fixing his car. And after a while, Jeff started borrowing uh, equipment with no intention of returning it. And Jeff had a simple rationalization for this. All his co-workers at his seniority level were doing the same thing. All the guys at Jeff's level uh, had hundreds of dollars of tools from work at home, something they considered a perk uh, that came with their position. Then it happened. Uh, Jeff came to a point where he understood that he needed God's forgiveness in his life. And so Jeff put his faith in Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for him. And Jeff's life was changed by God's indwelling spirit who filled him with a desire to please God with his life. And so one day, uh, Jeff was at his workbench in his basement one uh, evening, and God started speaking to him about all the company tools. And Jeff sensed that God was telling him that these so-called borrowed tools were stolen just as much as if he had broken into the plant at night and taken them in the dark. So this gets around now to the newspaper article I was reading. Uh, It was a news article asking a very interesting question. What should a company do if one of its senior mechanics come before the management and lays out $2,000 worth of company tools and explains that Jesus told him to return all the equipment that he had confiscated over his years of employment. What does a company do when this employee weeps with a contrite heart and asks for forgiveness because he understands that it was wrong and now he wants to live right and be an honest and trustworthy man? The article asks, what should a company do with a guy like that? 
And the article was critiquing the, what the plant management decided to do about Jeff. The uh, company, Jeff's company, did something quite drastic and controversial. Do you know what they did to him? They promoted him. The management was quoted saying that they knew for years that uh, their company tools were going out the door, but they had just decided to write off untrustworthy employees as a cost of doing business. But Jeff's plant supervisor uh, said something like, hey, once you find an employee like Jeff who is committed to honesty, you don't fire him. You give him the keys to the shop. How about you? Maybe God is speaking to you like he spoke to Jeff about the fact that theft by seizure includes holding on to items that you have borrowed and not returned. And not just things from the office. Um, it's funny how so many things that we've borrowed from friends and family and neighbors, well, it just sort of becomes your own after you've had it for a while. Cake pans and Tupperware and fondue pots and ladders and hedge trimmers and uh, books and CDs and DVDs. It's amazing how many things we can accumulate by borrowing and not returning. I challenge you to take a tour of your house, your basement, your car, or your garage, and when you find something that is not yours, find a way to make a return to the one you borrowed it from. Uh, if you have your neighbor's post digger, bring it back. If you have a wheelbarrow borrowed from an old neighbor who has now moved to a condo in Florida, cut out a picture of a wheelbarrow and write a check and send it down to Florida. So take a tour of your house and find a way to make a return. But can, uh, consider this. When you make the return, don't just go to your neighbor and say, whoops, never guess what I found. Uh, I challenge you to do something like Jeff did. And uh, find a way to say something that honors God in the process. Go to your neighbor and say something like, you know, I've been studying the Ten Commandments. And I've been challenged to look around and return things that I've borrowed and not returned. And maybe you don't even need this back. But I need to give it back to you. Because as much as possible, I want to be right with God and right with everybody else. If you make the return and say something like that, you will be not only uh, pleasing God and honoring God, but you'll be making an impact in your neighbor's life. Because you know how God makes a real impact through his people? It's when, his, when other people actually see Jesus making a difference in your life. People don't want to just hear talk. About Jesus. Deep down, people long to see Jesus. And God becomes real to people, not when I act righteous, uh, but when I admit that I'm not perfect, and when I show that I am being transformed through God's indwelling Spirit. According to Scripture, the first form of stealing is seizure. The second form of stealing is theft by deception. 
Uh, God expands on the Eighth Commandment in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, in which uh, God specifies that the Eighth Commandment uh, prohibits theft by deception. God says in Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 35, Do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use only honest scales. Use honest weights, an honest pound, and an honest ounce. For I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. So, even back over 3,500 years ago, there were butchers who put their thumb on the scale. Uh, There were used camel salesmen who said, believe me, she's only got 15,000 miles on her. Uh, there's always been people who have made their money through deceptive business practices. But God looks his people in the eye and he says, my people will never make a cent through deception. We have financial counselors here at BlackRock who offer advice to people who are in financial trouble. And uh, I remember hearing one of our financial counselors uh, speak about a single mom who went under financially as the result of one huge car repair bill for over $900. And the counselor held up this bill and and asked, uh, what is this bill? And uh, the single mom said, well, the strange thing is that my car was running fine. But my mechanic told me that I needed to have my car winterized. He said he hated to think of me and my kids stranded in the cold with a dead car. And the counselor looked at this bogus bill and thought, this mechanic stole from this woman just as much as if he broke into her house and stole $900 from her purse. This kind of deception is common practice everywhere. The furnace guy tells you you need to replace the furnace, even though he knows uh, that a cheap part will keep it running fine. Uh, Doctors advise patients to undergo expensive surgeries that they don't really need. The home repair guy quotes one low price and then in the middle of the job uh, jacks the price up due to unforeseen expenses. You know, all this is considered business as usual in the world. God says, my people will never do business by deception because it's just an indirect way of stealing. So think about your relationships right now. Uh, Ask God whether you are stealing from anyone through deception. Think about your business right now. And listen to God calling you to be honest about what you promise in the workplace. Honest about how you advertise. And honest about what you say in your sales approach. Sit down with God and think through how you conduct your relationships in every area. And make sure that you are not doing or saying anything that could be considered theft by deception. Lastly, Scripture indicates that there is a third form of stealing. The third form of stealing is theft by defrauding. Uh, What does it mean to defraud someone? Uh, Defrauding is the act of withholding 
what is due someone else. Uh, let me go back to God's commentary on the Eighth Commandment in uh, Leviticus chapter 19, where God says in Leviticus 19, verse 13, Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man, even just overnight. So, do you hear what God is saying in the Eighth Commandment? Uh, God says, if you hire someone to do a job, and uh, they do the work, uh, but you don't pay them, you are nothing more than a thief who steals by defrauding. If someone does a job for you, you must fulfill the terms of payment and do it on time. You know, I've spoken to uh, people who have tried to start up a new business and failed. And I've asked them, uh, why did your business fail? And they tell me about their solid business plan. Uh, They tell me about their superior product and service. They tell me how their business failed because they were robbed. They say, uh, I delivered my product on time uh, with complete customer satisfaction But I had one major client who wouldn't pay. He put me off 30 days, 60 days, 120 days, each time making promises. But I was operating on a tight cash uh, flow basis, and I got to the point where I couldn't go on. I went under because I was defrauded. I was robbed. Friends, you know, put it simply, if you don't pay your bills... You are stealing. Now, obviously, I understand that there are, you know, outlier cases and uh, terms need to be adjusted sometimes. But God knows your heart. And God knows when you are really playing games, instead of paying people what you know you owe them. And God says that when you withhold what is due... You are stealing in his eyes. It is theft by defrauding. And God feels strongly about this. And I need to tell you why. I need to tell you because I think God would be disappointed in me if I avoided sharing with you God's specific message uh, to his people about how it is possible to steal from God by defrauding him. In the last book of the Old Testament, God says... I, the Lord, do not change. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse because you are robbing me. In the Old Testament, God commanded his people to uh, tithe, to give 10% of their income to God's work. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. And so, even though we do not live under the law of the Old Testament as believers in Jesus, God doesn't change. And so, over the centuries, uh, biblical churches have taught the guideline of giving 10% of our income to God's work in the church because God's mind doesn't change on this kind of thing. There are people listening to me right now who... Don't know God. Uh, You've never experienced God's love and forgiveness through faith in Jesus. If you're one of those people, you're welcome here. And you need to know that God doesn't expect you uh, to give anything to his work in the church. But if I am truly one of God's children, 
If I have experienced God's love and forgiveness in Jesus, if I know the presence of God in my life, then God expects me to give to the local church that he places me in. And if I ignore God's call to give, God has strong feelings about that. God does not beat around the bush. He doesn't hold down his head and shuffle his feet. No, God looks us in the eyes and says, you are defrauding me. You are withholding what is mine. You are stealing from me. I began this message by asking you to reflect on the emotions that you feel toward those who have stolen from you in your life. When we defraud God, his reactions are even stronger for two reasons. One, God reacts with intense feelings because as much as it hurts to be robbed by a stranger, how much more must God hurt when it's his own adopted children who are defrauding him? Two, I think God feels strongly because when I fail to give spiritually, I prove that I am missing the whole point of a relationship with God and the message behind the Eighth Commandment. Scripture makes it clear that behind His Eighth Commandment, God is expressing much more than just demanding that His people refrain from ripping people off. In the Ten Commandments, God is revealing Himself and His character. God tells me not to commit adultery because God always keeps his word. God tells me not to lie because God always tells the truth. God tells me not to steal because God wants me to become like him. Like him, God wants me to become a giver and not a taker. And as I follow Jesus, God fills me with his spirit, and through his spirit, God writes his law upon my heart so that I can think and act like him. And this is God's goal in the Eighth Commandment. His goal is not to just call me away from seizing and deceiving and defrauding. God is calling me to imitate him by becoming a giver in life and not a taker. A giver, not a taker. That is who God is. For God so loved the world that he gave. A giver, not a taker. That's who I want to be. That's who you want to be. And this is who you become. When you allow God to empower you with his spirit so that you follow his roadmap for relationships.